Well, good morning again. And we're going to be, like I said, in Acts chapter 18, diving through a few more verses and getting near the end of Paul's second missionary journey. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen in a minute. But really what today, the, the purpose of today, is we go through these 17 verses in Acts chapter 18. I want us to just really continue to see God's plan and how it unfolds uh, as he works through the Apostle Paul and, and through his preaching of the gospel um, to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And I think there's some things there, there in, in these verses. There's a few different scenes. It's kind of a little bit of a, a snapshot of a few different things uh, of Paul uh, ministering in the city of Corinth. And so I think there's some things we can learn from it, and we'll, we'll talk about a few takeaways after we walk through uh, the verses. But if you remember last week, uh, to kind of pick us up and review a little bit, we were in, uh, Paul was in the city of, of Athens, and Pastor Michael preached that sermon uh, about Paul's sermon uh, in Athens, and we, we see here on the map that we've been following along, uh, we've got, um, he, Paul's been a busy guy, been traveling a lot, obviously, and on this journey, Athens is over here, and he is um, there. He was at the Areopagus, remember the, the hill there, and preached this amazing sermon to all these intellectual thinkers, a city just full of idol worshipers, and he preached the gospel to them. A few did believe, uh, but unfortunately many, many, many did not. And so Paul leaves Athens, and that's where we find ourselves today, and he will go over to the city of Corinth, and he finds himself in kind of a a whole new environment, a whole new context. Uh, I, I don't know if many of you have uh, ever kind of ventured much out of the Midwest. I, I'm sure many of you have in uh, your lifetimes, but uh, there was a time earlier this year where my wife and I had the opportunity to go um, meet our son, our future son, uh, who is now officially our son, Gideon, and we were going to Ethiopia, so we had a layover in Washington, D.C. It was our first time either of us had been there, and we got in about late afternoon, 4 o'clock or so, and we had already kind of planned uh, to uh, maybe venture out and see some of the sights of Washington, D.C., and we never, like I said, never been there and thought, man, we've got to take advantage of this opportunity. Who knows if we'll ever be back? And so we got, uh, got into our hotel and then tried to figure, you know, kind of sat down and tried to figure a way, how, how do we get downtown, ask some questions to see some of the monuments, the White House, all those things. We knew we only had a few hours, so, um, and I guess maybe for those of you who don't know, my wife and I, neither of us are like super adventurous, like risk takers, and like unknown places, we, you know, we don't like crowds, I'm okay with crowds, my wife really doesn't like crowds, but neither of us are huge fans of them, so, so that's kind of, you know, us going into this new place, and we, we take the, the metro bus system, their city public transportation, we take that downtown, it's already dark by the time we get down there, 6, 7 o'clock, and we're like, okay, we've got a couple hours, we need to, we need to see something so that we can, you know, take a selfie and post it on Instagram so people know, we, you know where we are, that we're having fun, and, and, you know, it turns out that, like, the whole night was pretty much a train wreck, luckily not a literally, literal train wreck, but it was, I mean, we... we kind of got mad at each other um, through the whole situation. I, I'm a guy. I, I know where I'm going. I don't need to ask for directions until, until the last minute. And Anna really does not like to be lost or not know where she's going. Or, you know, and that, that's just, so it was a very stressful um, situation we can laugh about now, but it wasn't, wasn't too funny at the time. But, you know, it, it, was, it was just a crazy thing. And I think Paul kind of found himself in this situation in Corinth, a little bit overwhelmed uh, in a totally new environment, uh, if, as we look at the city of Corinth, a few things about, about the city. It was a very, very large city. Um, it was approximately 50 miles from Athens, so he had been traveling a little bit. 
Uh, not just, you know, obviously back then 50 miles was a little more than it is for us today. Um, but there was probably close to 700,000 people between the citizens, the free citizens, and the slaves. Uh, at least over 10 times the size of Athens. So more than likely the, the biggest city that Paul had been in um, found, finds himself in this new environment. And um, the kind of interesting thing about the city of Corinth is that it, it once was, uh, and, and at this time that Paul gets there, it's, it is kind of a, a very prominent city, but it had undergone a, a complete destruction about 146 B.C., um, and during some battles, and Rome kind of tore the whole city down, and then 100 years later, uh, it, it was rebuilt. And so now there's this kind of mixture of old buildings and relics and just things that have been, been there for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then a lot of new things have come up within the last 100 years uh, when Paul finds himself there. Um, and, and it's also very strategically placed as, as far as its geography. If we look here on a map, I'll show you here in a second, but if we look here, you see where Corinth is, kind of across the way here from Athens. So that's about 50 miles. And really, um, this little uh, isthmus here that connects the northern part of Greece and the southern part of Greece is uh, obviously a huge trade route, uh, trade way. And everybody has to come through Corinth if they're going through that. So there was a lot of people coming and going. Uh, we've got, um, and then east to west traffic also came through Corinth because Instead of going, you know, the boat, sailors, um, they didn't want to go all the way around here because it was very, very, very um, treacherous, the sea. And so they wanted to just kind of sneak across the land. And you might think, well, why didn't they, like, just kind of build a canal or something through there? It's only about three miles at its narrowest point. Um, well, they tried to several times, I think, over the, the history, in, in history. Um, and it wasn't completed, and it is completed today. You see there the, the Corinth Canal. Um, not until the 19th century were they able to finish that. Obviously, uh, modern technology um, was able to help them out a little bit. Um, they gave up, I think, during Paul's time after trying to dig it out. I don't know if they were trying to do it with hand shovels, but that seems like a pretty big project. Um, and this is a picture of kind of looking down how the boats come through. Um, so this is, this is kind of the, the setting of Corinth. And because it was such a uh, highly you know, traversed city, um, it was a very pagan and immoral city. As well, um, people, you know, travelers were coming and going. They were there just for a short time, and um, Paul found himself in, in the midst of of the city, uh, ready to share the gospel. And we'll see a, a few things that he's able to do. Um, but you know, when you compare the city of Athens that Paul had just come from, um, some would say that uh, you know, one commentator says this. He says if Athens was a center of clouded light. Um, Corinth was a center of corrupt life. And if Athens was full of idolatry, Corinth was full of sensuality. So that kind of gives you a picture. Uh, and for those of you who may have seen the video uh, link that I posted on the city earlier this week, um, that, that kind of gives you a little more of the context of the city. It's really cool, I think, to see. They, you know, the city of Corinth is talked a lot about throughout the New Testament. And you'll see today, we've got verses. I'll try not to confuse you too much, but we do jump around a little bit to, to see where Paul is. Where, you know, he's talking about this situation that's referenced in this other book, in this letter that he wrote to the Corinth church. And so it's really, really kind of cool to see uh, that, how influential this city was in the New Testament church and how much time Paul spent here. Um, but let's go ahead and jump into Acts chapter 18 and, and see, see where we find ourselves and where Paul finds himself. 
First few verses start like this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So we see in these verses that Paul begins partnership with Aquila and Priscilla. Some of you may have heard of Aquila and Priscilla before. They um, are a fairly well-known, one of the most well-known married couples, uh, in, definitely in the New Testament. And they begin this partnership with Paul. This is one of the most important friendships of the New Testament between Paul and this uh, couple of Aquila and Priscilla. Their names are really fun to say, too, because they kind of rhyme. Um, Paul basically says later, and actually the Romans, calls them his fellow workers and people who had risked their own necks for his life. So obviously they became very close, and we kind of get to see the beginning of it right here as Paul makes his way to Corinth. Um, If we look back at those verses, we see uh, how they got there. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla were actually in Rome, and then Claudius uh, commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And that's kind of an interesting story, too, where you see that the Jews that were living in Rome at the time um, historical documents to say that, that it was basically, uh, th- there was so much kind of rioting and, and, and um, just the, the Jews were so, um, I don't know the word exactly, but uh, they were causing such a ruckus that Claudius basically said, hey, we've got to kick these Jews out of here. And what it was probably because of um, was because of the gospel being preached in Rome, uh, much like we'll see uh, and we have seen with Paul when he preached the gospel, the Jews the one, especially the ones that didn't receive the gospel, they didn't like it. They would uh, raise, raise a ruckus um, against Paul, and this was probably happening in Rome when some missionaries came to Rome. And so that's how uh, Aquila and Priscilla got to Corinth, uh, started their tent-making business, and then Paul, we see, uh, is, is a, a tent-maker as well. This is the first time we kind of know of that and hear about that in, in, in the Bible. And so he partners with them, lives with them, and they begin to um, kind of develop this new pattern of ministry, uh, kind of a bivocational thing for Paul, a little bit new to him. And, and in the modern missions movement, actually, the, the, the idea of tent making is actually referenced. It refers to any missionary that does uh, work to support themselves. That, that work is often called tent making, and this is what that uh, comes from, kind of the example of Paul here. Um, as he, he's, he um, kind of makes his living and raises support during the week uh, for, by making tents. And then on the weekends, on the Sabbath, uh, we see what he, what he does here in the next few verses. Verses 4 and 5 says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. So we see here, that Paul ministers to the Jews and Greeks in Corinth as well as he does his tent-making job. You know, we see in those verses, Paul is kind of up to his same old thing, right? He he preaches a very plain and simple message of the gospel to these Jews in the synagogue. Um, In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 later, basically Paul, as he's writing this letter back, to the Corinthians, he basically says, he, he says, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And th- that's a common theme with, with the Apostle Paul. As he, as he talks to the Jews in the synagogues especially, 
um, trying to tell them that this, this is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. Jesus is the Christ. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how, how the response goes here in just a moment. But you saw in that verse 2, uh, in those couple of verses, that Silas and Timothy came. So Paul was kind of alone in Corinth uh, with Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, and then Paul, Silas and Timothy come, and they bring some monetary support for Paul so that he can devote some more time uh, to the ministry of the Word and doesn't have to, to work, do the tent making quite so much. Uh, we know about that because of, again, in Second Corinthians, it talks about uh, what Silas and Timothy brought, uh, mostly from the church at Philippi. And things seem to be going pretty well. Right? Things seem to be going pretty well. He's ministering, he's working, getting to know people. And then, um, for those of you who have been around the last few weeks, last couple months as we've gone through Acts, you probably can guess what happens next. Um, opposition arises. So let's read these next few verses together and, and see what happens. And when they opposed and reviled him, it's almost like it's assumed that that's going to happen, uh, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. It's very interesting. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So we see here that after some opposition from the Jews, Paul turns his focus to the Gentiles once again. Somewhat of the same old, same old, you know, the pattern of going to a city, preaching in the synagogue, getting rejected, and then that leading to direct contact with the Gentiles. But there's a few things, you know, a few interesting things I think that happen um, that we see in there. Uh, where, where did Paul go once he got kind of, he kicked himself out of the synagogue and said, fine, you know, I, I shake my garments, uh, basically saying, you are responsible for your own judgment. And he go, where does he go? He goes next door, right next door to the synagogue. Didn't go very far. And to the house um, who's owned by Titius Justice, a man named Titius Justice, who um, becomes kind of the host of this new little church plant uh, right next to the synagogue there. And, and even though Paul... Um, basically said he was done with the Jews going to the Gentiles. We see there in those verses that Crispus, the synagogue leader, um, actually became a Christian. And it, I think this shows that Paul treated the Jews of Corinth with love and grace, even after they rejected him and his message. He certainly did not forbid Jewish people to come to Jesus or anything like that. He merely switched his focus of his evangelism from the, from the Jews to the Gentiles. And it's very, you know, very interesting to see kind of the chain of events. And obviously we just get the little snippet there from those few verses of how that all occurred. And, you know, Paul's like, I'm done with you people. And he goes, you know, just goes right here to the next door. And then people over there in the synagogue are still getting saved. And um, it's kind of, kind, of, kind of crazy. And um, then we see in those verses that the, this direct kind of, this, Paul has this vision uh, from God, kind of a direct encouragement uh, for Paul. Um, basically where he says, Paul, don't be afraid. I'm going to be with you. I've got people in this city, and uh, you, you, can, you can stay here. Nobody's going to attack you or harm you in those verses that we just read. And, and we'll talk more about kind of that encouragement from God here in a moment. But I, I, this really, this kind of protection from God 
And he, it basically allowed Paul to stay in Corinth longer than any other city that he stayed in. This wasn't just a quick come, preach a message, get rejected, and move on. He, he stayed here in Corinth for, as it said, over a year and a half. And, um, you know, when, when God said that, for I have many people in this city, for I have many in this city who are my people, I think it's interesting that that really uh, gave Paul some confidence as he began continued to minister. Um, he knew that his evangelizing, that his proclamation of the gospel was going to bear fruit because God had already promised it. And God had promised that, that there are people here in this city of Corinth, in this wicked, evil city, um, God, God has got some people and he's got plans for people. And, and Paul used that as motivation to continue to teach the gospel. And so as Paul begins this kind of new ministry, ministering to the Gentiles primarily next door to the synagogue, uh, we, we see that the people in the synagogue, the Jewish leaders, they really didn't like that too much. So let's look at the last few verses that we'll look at today. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. All right, so we see in these verses that the Jews attempt to convict Paul before the civil authorities. Once again, they're trying to get Paul basically claiming that He's persuading, persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Not, not the Jewish law, but contrary to the Roman law. They're appealing to the Romans, and Gallio, as you saw there, said, you know, he, this isn't my business. It looks like an internal matter. You guys got to work it out. Um, and, you know, while that may seem kind of inconsequential, but I think it's very important because really what it did was it established a, a legal precedent in that day uh, that basically Christians were innocent of breaking Roman law um, as long as they just taught and, and followed Christian doctrine. Um, and this was huge as to the advance and spread of the gospel um, in the coming years because the Jews were basically trying to say, hey, this Christianity, this gospel that Paul is preaching, it, it's illegal. It's illegal. We need, to get, we need to get him away from us. He's got to stop teaching us, get, leave us alone. Um, but it did not work as Gallio basically um, took the hands-off approach and, and kind of protected Paul in some ways. Uh, and, you know, this is a direct, a direct fulfillment of God's promise just a few verses earlier that no one will attack Paul or harm him. I think that's pretty cool to see that connection. And then the last, you see there in the last verse, it's very kind of confusing. I, you know, when I first read this, you know, it's kind of like, okay, let's see. They, Gallio basically says, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And then, then what happens? Well, they got driven out of the tribunal and then... All of a sudden, this guy Sosthenes appears, wrong place, wrong time, poor guy. Um, you know, the ruler of the synagogue, they just beat him in front of the, the tribunal. Uh, it's kind of interesting. We don't know very much about this, this ruler of the synagogue, or really much of the why he was beaten. I mean, we, can, we can kind of assume a few things, just based on uh, some other things that we know and kind of the whole situation. But most likely, he was a Jewish convert to Christianity, and the Jews were just mad. They were ticked that they couldn't get to Paul and get him off their backs. So they just basically said, okay, we'll, uh, uh, we'll just take this guy since we can beat him up, I guess. Maybe he was 
Uh, who knows? You know, it's kind of, it's kind of funny in some ways, not really for that guy. Um, but um, this name, Sosthenes, actually is referred to as a man who was a co-author of 1 Corinthians with Paul. So some scholars would say that this is the same guy that you don't know for sure. But um, obviously he um, kind of suffered in this, this case. And uh, the people were, the Jewish leaders were pretty angry um, with the, the ruling or the non-ruling of Gallio. So what do, what, do, what do we take away from this? We've got, you know, Paul going to another city. He's getting, some people are receiving the gospel, which is great. People are rejecting. Um, but we, we, more protests are happening, but what can we learn from it? I think there's a few, few things that we can learn as we um, come to a close today in these takeaways. I think the first thing is this, and it's from the example of Aquila and Priscilla. But it's, that ministry isn't just for the paid professionals, it is for every believer. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you've probably heard this before. Um, we, we talk about this a lot. We, we uh, you know, when, when you become a Christian, there, there's no sitting on the sidelines and letting the, the pastors do all of the work or the paid professionals, those, that sort of mindset. Um, when you become a Christian, uh, you're, you're out on the playing field. And, and you are ministering. Uh, th- that is really taught throughout the New Testament of what being a true follower of Jesus is, how we, how we all are called to take up our cross and to, to be ministering. And I think Aquila and Priscilla really personify that in a great way because we see them, they're, they're just, just tent makers, you know, but they are actively involved in ministry. We see in, in just encouraging Paul and the way they encouraged him, the way that they showed hospitality and generosity to him by uh, letting him stay with them. Um, we see perseverance in their ministry um, because later when, when Paul uh, writes the, the book of Ephesians and, and Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus, he talks about how Paul or Priscilla and Aquila are ministering with Timothy years and years later in Ephesus. And so we see that they, they had uh, some longevity and really uh, stayed the course. Uh, they also participated in kind of intentional disciple-making um, in a few verses uh, that we'll cover next week, uh, they basically take a, this preacher named Apollos and take him aside privately and correct him, correct some of his theology. He was preaching, um, uh, his preaching was a little bit off. And so they corrected him privately and really you can see that they were uh, very wise in the way that they ministered, but they were, they were just lay leaders that really saw their lives and gave their lives uh, for Christ. And I think this verse in 1 Peter really uh, helps us, all of us, kind of see what, what, what this is talking about. It says this, each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So we're all called, in some ways, we're all called to ministry. Um, you know, the word minister, we don't use that here as kind of our official titles. We don't have minister of youth, minister of music, and those sorts of things, because we believe all of us are called to, called to be ministers. Now, some of you will be called to, to minister maybe as leaders in a church. Many of you will be called to be ministers uh, in your secular jobs, and that's great, and that's what God, um, God has planned, um, something different for each and every one of us. But I want you to, to think about this morning. How are you participating in ministry? How, how are you using your gifts to serve the body of Christ, much like Aquila and Priscilla did? Um, you know, this isn't just a Sunday morning thing where you come and uh, that, that's not uh, really what God has designed for us. It's to encompass our whole lives to serve him and to be used by him.
The second thing I think we can uh, learn from these verses and really from the example of Paul is this, that serving God won't always be easy, but we must persevere and keep our focus on Christ. You know, you think about all that Paul has been through to this point. It's been, he's been through some pretty tough stuff, uh, but he's kept his perspective, and I think, you know, we, we kind of know a little bit, we have this insight into how Paul was feeling um, in, in Corinth as he got to this new city from a couple of other books in, the, in Scripture and the letters that he wrote. So I want us to look at these verses, uh, one of them here in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 3. This is Paul writing back to the church at Corinth years later. He says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So we see here the Apostle Paul describing how kind of his state of mind. He was weak, fearful, trembling. And then 1 Thessalonians, which he wrote from Corinth. So he's writing this during his time when he was in the city of Corinth. It says this. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through, our, through your faith. So as he writes to this other church, he's basically saying, we are distressed and afflicted. So I think it's safe to say that, that Paul had some difficult times in Corinth. Um, obviously in a city that was corrupt and pretty opposed to the gospel, uh, it was very difficult ministry context. But I, I think it, in some ways we can take comfort Um, and be encouraged by the fact that Paul was discouraged at times because we can look and see how Paul uh, got out of that. And, and, you know, Paul's vision from God, where God basically said, um, hey, I'm with you, I've got people, you stay here, I'm going to protect you, was just a great way for uh, Paul to um, really kind of hear God, God's word, and um, just to believe it, believe it. You know, I think when we think of discouragement, especially this time of year, you know, this is the most wonderful time of year with Thanksgiving and Christmas. I think if we probably took a poll in this room, many of you are, are experiencing the, some discouragement. Maybe at a lot of different levels, um, but, you know, statistically, uh, the rate of suicide and depression, all those things really um, increase this time of year. And so as we go through the next few, few weeks, a couple of months, um, I, I want to just kind of give you a word of encouragement by reminding you that our God is not a God of discouragement. He's a God of encouragement, and that when we get discouraged, it's often, I think, caused by, by our worry. We just, you know, worry about things out of our control, whatever it may be, and we're, our worry is often caused by fears that we may have. But I, I think that if we, and I don't think it, I, I know it, I, I know if we are believers in Christ, if we are, if you are truly a son and daughter of God, then you don't have reason to fear, and that doesn't need to be the root of your discouragement. Um, you know, the most common command from God in the Bible, if, I don't know if any of you know, know it, but basically it's what he told Paul in this vision just a few verses ago. He said, do not be afraid. That's the most common command. And I think that we can really take that to heart um, from God, and just as Paul did, and he was encouraged. This verse in uh, John, 1 John 4, uh, really talks about this relationship between uh, fear and love. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You know, fear is something uh, that all of us will deal with. 
um, and some of us are dealing with now and, and sometimes on a daily basis. And, you know, my wife and I, uh, as we've gone through the process of adoption and we've got our little guy home now, and um, it seems like a constant uh, daily thing where we're teaching him not to fear, not to fear um, that, that we won't come back not to fear of, of the unknown and all these sorts of things. And, and it's really um, sometimes consumes him. And his little body, he's only you know, just over two years old. And it's, it's something that I think as Christians, it may work itself out in different ways, but I think we sometimes are very fearful. And it, you know, it may work itself out in discouragement or worry. But, it, but if we're, we're feel, fearful uh, of things, maybe it's uh, uh, just life situations uh, all, any other difficulties or uh, trials that we go through that, that can make us afraid, I think we do. We just lose sight of, of who God is and who we are in God's eyes. So I want to encourage you, basically, you know, as Paul listened to the word of God and took it to heart and, and he was encouraged by it, I, I think we should do that as well. And I would encourage you to um, maybe read through the book of Psalms as kind of a practical thing if you're struggling with discouragement. Now, the book of Psalms, it's not all warm, fuzzy stuff. Um, you know, it, it's real and, and honest and authentic. Uh, but I would encourage you just to, to pray through those, those chapters, maybe read a couple chapters a day over the next month. Uh, I think it'll really help you understand more of who God is, remind you of some truths that, that maybe you've already heard, but you just need to be reminded about. And it, help, it will help you keep your focus on, on, on God and on Jesus and your relationship with him. And the last thing that I think from this these verses that we can learn um, be really reminded about is this. The light of the gospel can overpower the darkness of a sinful culture. I think this is especially applicable to us today when our, our uh, world, our city, our country is oftentimes, it's looking a little more like Corinth, like this, the context that Paul found himself in uh, every day. And just as we've seen God work and God save people Back then, uh, he wants to save people today. He is saving people. And, you know, when we, we think of the darkness that we're surrounded by, I think it's important for us to be reminded that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, as, as we close today, I do want to um, just, just remind us of this truth. I mean, I think this can really encourage us who are discouraged as well. Because the, the church at Corinth, it wasn't perfect by any means. Um, but God, God really did a work in people's hearts there. And we see that uh, through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And, and I believe God wants to save, uh, save people here today, here in South Platte County, in the Northland of Kansas City, and the world beyond. And I think for us, it, we can just be, uh, kind of take this challenge to heart um, to be really. Uh, encouraged by God and the words that he, he says to us in his word and that no matter how dark that our world will get um, we can take comfort in knowing that the light of the gospel will, will never be extinguished um, and we can look forward to the day when the darkness will be gone forever and that, that's really our hope and our prayer and I think what should drive us uh, to, to be serving and look, look at our lives as serving in ministry and, and really be focused on uh, giving our lives to God, being good stewards of everything that we have, um, and then, then just being encouraged by, by who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. So um, be reminded about that today, and, and let's, let's pray as we close. Father God, we, we do thank you for your word, um, and, and 
just the things that we can learn from uh, just the, the story of the early church and, and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. God, I pray that today you will help us uh, to really um, examine our lives and, and see um, what areas, uh, what ways that we can uh, better reflect uh, your son to the world around us. God, the world we live in is, is a very dark place. God, but we know that your light uh, is still shining and that one day it will shine uh, throughout the entire world that you will make all things new. God, we look forward to that day and I pray that you will um, just until that day uh, help us to let our light shine, let your light shine through us uh, to the lost and dying world around us. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.